The world as we know it continues to evolve and change into something that we can only hope to understand. This is why the registry continues to provide industry insights through personal interviews with the leaders who are shaping real estate on a daily basis. By subscribing to our podcast, you are helping us in our work, and we will continue to deliver programming such as the one you're about to hear. Please click the subscribe button and let your friends and colleagues know about us. It will help you and the industry stay ahead of the game. Today we sit down with Bob Tiscarino. He is the founder and principal of Seattle-based Tiscarino Associates, an architecture firm focused on bringing design vision in mixed use and multifamily developments across the greater Puget Sound region. Bob started the firm in 2002 and built it into a mid-sized full-service architecture and planning firm. Bob's mantra is all about forgetting egos and foregoing habits and letting go of the way we did it before. The firm is focused rather on gathering around the table for fresh collective thinking that solves every problem with ingenuity and teamwork. Welcome to the pod, Bob. Bob, good afternoon. How are you? How are you doing, Vlad? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Where do we find you today on this uh, rainy Pacific Northwest day, the day after the elections? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in, my, um, in my office in downtown Seattle, um, and things are, things are actually pretty quiet today. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, it's a, maybe it's good for all of us to catch a little breath, yeah. right? Great, great. Uh, so, Bob, uh, by, by way of introduction, would you mind giving us a little bit of, uh, you know, of you know, your firm, your background, you know, who you guys are, the type of work that you do, just a little bit of, a, of an overview for, for the audience? Sure. Um, I, Bob Tiscarino, architect, and I, um, this year um, I'm uh, celebrating my 40th year of, of being a designer and architect. I'm a native of San Diego and, and went to uh, architecture school at USC, then on to a master's degree at Harvard. You know, ever since I was in high school, I've, I've been designing buildings. And in fact, my first design uh, when I was 18 was a, a transit station with historical roots. It was a local high school competition, and, and it, actually, it actually got built in Lemon Grove, California. Okay. Prior to starting uh, Discarino Associates, I worked at Element Architects, where I was a principal, and I was there for 11 years. And I founded Tiscarino Associates in 2002, and I started out designing a houseboat on, on Lake Union, and uh, it got a lot of publicity. My first notable project was, was River Park in downtown Redmond, and um, it's a mixed-use hotel, office, and residential project uh, that we designed for Legacy Partners. And you know, we are a mid-sized architectural practice today. You know, we, uh, we're completing some projects that we're very proud of. Let's see, the Danforth is a 16-story high-rise uh, luxury apartment building on First Hill. Okay. In terms of mixed use, it included a two-story Whole Foods, uh, along with apartments on the upper floors. Uh, the Cove is on Capitol Hill. It's a lead platinum project, and that's received a multitude of awards for its innovative approach to a sustainable living. Yeah, we've uh, been the recipient of many awards, including the Triangle in downtown Redmond. 
And most recently, um, the Beam is a new mixed-use project in the International District okay. that is opening soon. So, in terms of the types of projects our company focuses on and where these projects are being built, where you know we're working on mixed-use housing projects and transit-oriented design projects, and also transportation projects. Uh, and these are primarily in the Seattle and Puget Sound area. Yeah. Um, in addition, we've uh, been awarded uh, a few uh, affordable and workforce housing projects, um, and they're in locations like uh, Renton and Arlington and somewhere. Yep, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you're still working on some sort of transportation kind of related you know, developments that, that was, that was what you, that was what you designed as a, as a kid, right. In uh, high school. Yeah. Too, so. That's where I, that's where uh, I started out. That yeah. Was the, uh, I guess the big bang of my career. That's was, right. Uh, that's right. A, a transportation project. Yeah. And what was it about this region, the, you know, Pacific Northwest that kind of got you, you know, not, not a lot of San Diego uh, people come up here and, and settle in Seattle. They miss the surfing, they miss the sun, right? Tell us, tell us about sort of that process. And then, you know, also, how did you decide to start your own firm? Like, what, what was the genesis behind that? Well, let's see. I came to Seattle, you know, 30 years ago. I Originally thought, you know, I was curious about the area, heard a lot about it. There was a lot of attractive things uh, going on in Southern California, as you just as you just mentioned. But I heard a lot of really great things about Seattle and the city and, and, and you know, the cool neighborhoods that were here. And so it was a little bit of an experiment to move to Seattle and um, thought it was going to be short term. But one thing when I found when I was working on projects, so we were working on some very interesting mixed-use projects in the suburban location that were dense and, you know, had mixed uses primarily with retail at grade, with, with office or, or residential above it, or, or mixing uses horizontally. And I could see that the policies in this area and the transportation plans for the area that they were in place vis-a-vis the uh, Growth Management Act, yeah. really were leading to teeing up denser patterns of development. And you could see that unfolding. Initially, it was kind of a slow start, but more and more as time went on, you could see that uh, the patterns were in building projects and neighborhoods were, were densifying over time. And, you know, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to focus on mixed-use design and, and projects. And I thought there was more opportunity in Seattle than in Southern California. And I think that's really worked out uh, well for me yeah. in terms of what I wanted to accomplish in my, uh, my career. You had another question, which you asked me about why I started my own firm yeah. 18 years ago. And I wanted to try something totally different than I was doing before. And then I was working on really great projects. I was working for a great firm, but I thought, hey, can I, you know, every architect at one point wants to or thinks about going out on their own. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a big step. And I wasn't sure if I could do it. So I, I, I had this opportunity, some things came together and I, I said I'd take on some residential projects and single family residential projects. And, and um, it took me a few years to confirm that this is the right role for me and being in business and learning about business and all the things you've got to know about not just being you know, an architect. We're all really good architects. And, and uh, I thought I had a good training and experience, project experience, but working a career as, as, as an owner seemed uh, really interesting to me. And it's been 
an incredible experience. And, and today, you know, the firm has really evolved into a very sophisticated firm working on you know, multiple mixed use projects that uh, have a construction value yeah. of up to $200 million. So, uh, and that all, you know, has led to the, the need to have the talented staff that we have on board at Tiscarino Associates. I think uh, the awareness and the brand of our firm is growing. Uh, we really have some great projects under construction. We completed some great projects in recent years that I, I mentioned earlier. We have some really great projects under construction now and, and really have some really cool stuff on the boards that's uh, moving forward at this time. Great, great. And this next question will take us a little bit off the sort of path of uh, of architecture and you know design, but you work with your wife also. And the reason I bring that up is I started my business with my wife. And so it's been an interesting kind of journey for us both on the, you know, private and kind of, you know, business, uh, business paths. I would, I would love, you know, just, just, a you know, a couple of minutes in terms of, you know, how that experience has been for you and maybe lessons learned, even <laughs> things that we can all learn from that. Well, to go into business, you really got to have a spouse who supports what you're doing. And Jeannie has, uh, her business, it's a, it's a marketing business that she's led for, about as many years as I've been in business. And she, she, we worked together in marketing the firm along with our marketing manager. And um, so that has been very important. You know, architects need to be able to market. And so when you have a spouse who, who really understands that, it's been an important reason why we have uh, been successful over the years. You know, and, and it always brings up how do you, how do you, you know, separate yourself, yeah. you know, your work and your private lives. Right, and, right. you know, I think, uh, you know, you have to have discipline uh, not to talk about it all the time. And that's, it's hard because when you're, you're passionate about something, you know, it's hard to separate it and just leave it at, at work. But, you know, with discipline, it, it is possible. And, and having a, a couple of sons um, also, you know, takes you away from the offices and, and work life as well, <laughs> right. Uh, right. you know, and having other activities, so yeah, so yeah, so uh, uh, I think we both share that experience yeah, of having a business with your spouse. That's that's interesting, and it's not for the faint of heart either. That's that's been my experience as well. So anyway, well, great. So uh, Bob, how has twenty uh, twenty been for you guys? You know, obviously the the whole world has been upended by the by the pandemic. Uh, you do a lot of work, like you said, in mixed use and residential. Everything came to a halt earlier in the year, but it but from everything that we've seen, you know, this has been one area that actually has you know picked up. It's picked up in you know construction. Uh, I'm seeing projects sort of flow through. Through, through the design review process also tell us tell us sort of your perspective on on all of that kind of you know following you know March April time time frame well our mantra became you know how to adapt and overcome it was uh, a real challenge for for everybody and but we needed to quickly learn how to design and, and permit buildings working remotely and and uh, it wasn't easy you know since um, since March, our, our firm uh, has grown substantially. We've added over 10 employees, and most of them started remotely, which was new to new to our firm and yeah. new to these employees. You know, the challenges of remote work as time went on, uh, that there was uh, trying to maintain our, our cohesion and connectivity. 
um, you know, and, and some of the things we did was we had all hands meetings every week and some social virtual meetings, which we called water cooler. And um, and at this point, we are slowly migrating back to the office, but, you know, because we're in a creative business and collaboration and design uh, iteration is harder when you're working remotely and a lot easier when you're working together as a, as a unit. I could say uh, remote work, um, you know, I think we're still looking at that well into next year and we we found ways to make it work, but it's it's still uh, it's challenging. And, and, you know, we had cases where clients resisted using online tools to do meetings. And, oh, interesting. And, uh, yeah, but but generally, uh, everybody's come around, overcome this issue. Um, you know, if the client and the city uh, have embraced technology and 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 platforms, which uh, we're just generally seeing that across the board at, at this time. But early and on, it was a it was a real it was a real challenge to get everybody on the same platform and in a, in a different mode of working. Yeah, in a in a in a sort of slightly different but kind of related aspect of of that, we've noticed that to be the case. Also, one of the things I, you know, I've been using this one conferencing tool for now maybe four or five years, and it's interesting when I would schedule a meeting, the conferencing tool would automatically send a phone number and and a link for a you know video call. And prior to March, nobody ever clicked on that link for the video call. People always dialed in. And I would mm-hmm. say following April, everybody clicks on the link and nobody nobody dials in anymore. So it is it is kind of interesting how our habits, you know, can change and, and I think, you know, in this case also probably need to change. I mean, given given where yeah. where we are. But it's but I've also heard it's, you know, opened us up to opportunities to, you know, connect with people on a, you know, global basis a lot more easily. You're communicating with folks like like that virtually all all the time at this point, right? Yeah, we're constantly using these platforms to communicate with our teams and all the related parties, and so you know, and I think uh, even as we get back into the office, those are going to be just as important as they were before the pandemic. You know, there's some there's some situations where it's it's very uh, productive, and a lot of situations is very productive sure. and offers a new level of convenience. Have you noticed that in your work, you're you're also having to sort of readjust or adapt what your work looks like? And by your work, I mean the output, the you know product itself. Are are any of the designs beginning to change a little bit based on sort of what's happening with uh, you know COVID and what we're learning with social distancing and things like like that? You know, tell us a little bit about sort of how that part of it is evolving, also. Well, it's it's having a significant impact uh, on, uh, especially on the multifamily design aspects. I, I think there was, uh, and then some trends that were already underway have been accelerated because of COVID. But you know, uh, the amenities and some of the fixtures are in these buildings are are changing. Touchless systems and smart buildings are becoming more important. Most of our buildings have are mid-rise or even high-rise projects, but even if they're low-rise, different kinds of stairwells that encourage use and, and offer an alternative to an elevator is, is an important feature. You know, if the elevator so all of a sudden has less capacity, and as we found out, you know, you've got to find a, an alternative way and an attractive way and even a healthy way for people to use stairs to get 
from floor to floor. You know, open spaces are, are important, including private space on decks or terraces or rooftop amenity spaces that have uh, are, are landscaped are, are very important. You know, there's a demand for pet amenities. Now that's been in place for a while, but there's even more importance on it. You know, fitness centers, you know, they are still part of projects. You know, you've got to have amenities in place that promote health and fitness, good health and fitness. Sure. You know, right now we're seeing that, you know, the spaces, uh, you know, the, 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 the fitness machines need to be spaced a little further apart and maybe you have to make an appointment, but, you know, they're still part of the, of the program. And, you know, shared workspaces are, are also really important, you know, as all of a sudden, you know, we experience, you know, the requirement to work from home, you know, if you were working in, you know, if you were resident apartment building, having the option for a shared workspace somewhere is really important as well. You know, that demand was already, for this amenity, was already um, increasing pre-COVID, but, you know, I have every reason to to believe that this this will stay in place for years to, to come. Yeah, now the importance of something like that has been heightened, right, since since March and April, right? Yeah. Um so you you mentioned shared spaces and amenities and obviously those were those are really aspects of these developments that I think helped increase the I would say livability of these of these projects, right? Are amenities going to ever be the way they were done before? You know, is, is it is it going to be more focused on kind of, you know, private amenities where, you know, only one or two people can go in and do something at the same time versus, you know, these kind of open areas where, you know, more people could go and, you know, things like, you know, barbecues and stuff like like that. You know, how, how do you see that evolving over the next, I don't know, 18, 24 months or so? Before COVID, community and common areas were really important in, in projects. Um, because they promoted a sense of community and spaces where the tenants can get together. And, you know, with COVID, those spaces are are still being integrated into projects. You know, from what we can see, the, the projects we have underway and those are being completed. Nobody's changing the program. But, you know, the way they're used, making sure that, you know, you have the, the, the um, precautions in, in place for safe use of these spaces from the community is another aspect uh, for you know, owners to to manage so that their their tenants stay safe. But yeah, I think you know, amenity spaces are still going to be a priority. I think flexibility of those amenity spaces is also going to play into the picture. And so you know, that's what that's what we're seeing. Uh, but you know, we still have projects where you know we're planning on you know that they have. A daycare facility, for instance, a community pool, yep. the basketball court. You know, we're still seeing projects that have robust amenity spaces as well as expanded open space amenity programs, designated larger areas of the site. For example, well, this isn't always that isn't always possible in an urban location, but in a in a more of a, a suburban urban location, you know, you can you can take a uh, a, a chunk of the property and designate to a more robust outdoor amenity space that is for use by the not only by the tenants but, but by the community. And what about transit-oriented work and you know locations close you know proximate to transportation? How is that changing? Because that's also one big aspect of what you what you do. You know, transit projects. You know, we're 
big believers in in transit and transit design and and the future, especially in the Puget Sound of of mass transit. It it has incurred a major setback with COVID. Those projects that are being planned and, and you can see a lot of them still underway. You know, I think the timelines for those projects are, are extended, but eventually will be will be built and are very important. You know, for us to accomplish you know the goals of what was set out many years ago as the urbanization uh, and strengthening of the communities through through transit. So, but on the other side of it, you know, kind of going back to that the housing side, what we've seen during the pandemic is is that when things got really difficult, real estate projects, some projects got put on hold and others advanced, and there's the, the sites next to the that had convenient transit access or were next to you know light rail stations they held up yeah they were the they were the, and you know i think the reason is is that investors and developers could see the long term benefit of it and you know projects take multiple years to design get permitted and get constructed so you know i think everybody had the faith that you know where we're going to see the other side of covid even if it's one or two years out and that are, you know, here in the Puget Sound, we're going to still enjoy those, you know, the growth that we had before. It's going to be a great place for people to live and as well as work and designing communities that are, that are based on transit oriented design principles are going to be around for a long time. Bob, during these times of challenge, this is also usually a time for opportunity. As somebody who owns his own business, and uh, you know, I'm, I think I'm in your boat also, I think you and I are probably thinking about, you know, how do we, how, what, what do we do today to sort of, you know, you know, be a different business, m- more flexible business in the, in the next cycle? How, how are you approaching that process? And what, what are you guys doing today to, you know, ensure that in the, in the next cycle, you are, you are steady and successful? Yeah, well, I think the uh, important experiences out of COVID have been the need to be nimble and, and flexible and creative in your approaches. And it's been a good time to flex our business approaches and um, model, you know, into new opportunities in the future. But, you know, right now, I think the thing that we're working on is focusing on on projects that keep on top of trends, whether they're market trends or demographic trends, whatnot, and, and urban trends, and, you know, integrating those design elements into new projects. And, you know, we talked to, talked a little bit about sites that had transit access and embraced the future of uh, alternative modes of transportation and, and less reliance on the automobile. You know, we're seeing a lot of that through you know, everybody's familiar with the benefits of, of Uber yeah. commuting by, by bike and, and less reliance on cars and ultimately um, parking garages. Um, but, you know, also the increase on sustainability and, and we're going to be, you know, we're being ushered into that through a change in the um, energy and, and building code coming up here in, in February of 2021. But even beyond that, there's just you know an increased sensibility and 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 in developers and investors and cities alike are seeing the benefits of creating these uniquely and high performing sustainable buildings and we're seeing an uptick in that that trend 
Um, affordability, you know, I think, you know, in terms of what we're doing, you know, we are broadening our base in terms of, you know, the type of projects we're working on. I, might, I mentioned we had some new affordable housing projects and also workforce housing projects. We think the trend in that is going to be very important, you know, and, and affordability is, is going to be even more important as we move forward and, and especially in the sure. Seattle area yep. Yep. where people who are working in can't want to be able to live close to where they work and usually that's more expensive so it, it creates the need for you know having affordable housing that's uh, that's urban yeah you know and, and you know I think I think you know kind of a big key plan and strategy for us is to, to focus on innovation innovation in terms of design and elements and sustainability and, and you know an elevated neighborhood design in terms of how these projects relate to the neighborhood. Um, that they're in. You know, I mentioned that we are just completing a project in the international district called the Beam, and you know a lot of time was was spent on the architecture of that building. But you know the ground floor and, and how the occupancies on the ground floor with micro retail would would be attractive to local tenants and in in the little Saigon neighborhood. Yeah, and yeah. I think you're going to see more of that. If, if, you know, there you're not going to have be able to. The idea of, of having generic and, and dense projects is not going to be possible because because the need to really focus in on what's important about the site and the neighborhood it's in and the program and the and the, and the people who eventually um, live there or, or or shop there. Yeah, do you think that part of this trans- transformation will also impact you know how you work and how you're output is done and how you collaborate internally. I mean, earlier on uh, in our interview, you touched upon that a little bit, right? How this has been a time to sort of, you know, change some of the ways that, the, that things are done and it's and it's been easier on some things, harder on some things. How do you anticipate, you, you know, that that's going to flow going forward? We are going to be relying on technology and advancements in technology in terms of design and how we, how we um, deliver you know, projects moving forward. Um, we were already on that trend earlier, but, yeah. you know, uh, you know, BIM 360 is, uh, you know, we are using that extensively, you know, so Revit, a lot of firms use that, um, but we're also, um, that's going to be our main delivery method. And then also, you know, as we look towards how we deliver projects, it's going to take strategic teaming between consultants who are experts in their area, whether you want to have, you know, you need a cult consultant for, you know, building the sustainability program or, you know, the interiors program or landscape or how we team on projects moving forward is going to be, uh, we're going to be modeling these teams very strategically for success in the project and, you know, successful um, design execution. Yeah. 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 Given everything that's been going on, Bob, what, gives you hope about the industry and and the uh, and the future well what gives gives me hope you know the trends towards you know urbanization and higher density communities and development and transportation sustainability you know i think i think you could see that that trend continuing uh especially in the puget sound area i mean you're you're already seeing bedroom communities yeah. starting to become True urban centers, uh, you know, examples like our Redmond or Bellevue, Kirkland, but there are strong examples here in Seattle, such outside of the core central business districts, such as Northgate and, and the Roosevelt District. 
So, you know, that those are really good signs that, you know, what has started in place will continue on with some adjustments and in, 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 in thinking and approach, you know, post-COVID. You know, the fact that uh, Seattle and Bellevue and, and the Metro have zoning in place that, they, you know, couples transit expansion plans along with incentives for increased affordable housing and increases sustainability of buildings are really things to look forward to um, as we move uh, out of this out of the cycle you know we are you know, we've gone through a, a, a period here where you, you've seen people want to move out yeah. um, of the area for various reasons you know that we've experienced um, you know I don't I don't think even though these people are going to, you know, or you see people making changes to where they live. I, I don't think they're going to all move out to the country, but they're just going to move out to urban areas outside the downtown core. Yeah. So that's what I'm seeing right now. Okay. Great. I hope for. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, Bob, uh, thank you very much. Stay safe and good luck. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been my pleasure. Um, and thank you for, uh, uh, thank you for the registry uh, making uh, making this interview possible. Absolutely, we'll be we'll be in touch. Thanks, Bob. Yeah.